Hello, my friends, and welcome. I'm Christian Wolcott, Senior Consultant and Kaizen Practitioner. Welcome to the Chillicothe Cast, an exclusive production for the folks of Kenworth Chillicothe. This podcast is focused on the book Lean Thinking, and specifically Chapter 3, which addresses the whole idea of flow. So a bit of background before we get started. I have known Pakar Chillicothe since about 2013, when I first became involved with the Lean Leadership courses that were rolled out. I've had a chance to meet with some of you and walk the hallways and the plant uh, many, many times over the past several years. It's a great place, one of my favorite places to go, in part because of the product that's built there. It's so extraordinary. And the people that are there take pride in what they put out the back door. And I love to do the work with the engaging, fun management and leadership team that's there that's willing to try and try to live the path and walk the path of continuous improvement to build a culture that sustains. Now, this podcast in particular was to ask for by Rod Spencer, the plant manager. I understand you've been reading this book, Lean Thinking which is great, it's a great book, but in some ways maybe hides some of the details of practical use and how we're gonna pragmatically use some of these techniques in the plant. And this podcast and a few others are aimed to speak to that. And so I'm gonna make reference to a few of the things in chapter three specifically of Lean Thinking. And with that in mind, bear the plant and the operations and all of you and your roles and your different positions that you have, bear those in mind as well. So have you ever found yourself in a place just waiting? Uh, recently, I had the need to go do an annual checkup at my local clinic. And so when I made the appointment, the initial appointment said, please be 15 minutes early. And so I did just that. And arriving 15 minutes before 3 o'clock on an afternoon, I walked in and checked in with the attendant at the desk. They said, great, welcome here. Go have a seat and we'll call your name. Now, immediately, because of the work that I've done, I recognize as a stall technique and recognize right away this isn't good flow. Be 15 minutes early so you can go sit in a waiting room. Seriously. It's like having too many things on the shop floor. The drop-off has been made too soon because we're not sure of what the flow is. So we're gonna make sure that we don't run out because we're unsure of what really happens next. And a short time later, my name was called and I was brought back and some work was done, you know, where they weigh you and they measure you and you ask your name and all that sort of thing. And then what did they do next? Put you into an exam room where they tell you the doctor will be with you shortly. Again, unsure, not good flow. And along the way, in the waiting room, the waiting room itself, very nice, lots and lots of distractions there, lots of camouflage, if you will, right? Our local clinic here, uh, where I live, is uh, fairly modern, very contemporary, has a fireplace, big screen TV, very comfortable furniture, and conveniently, no clock. And the waiting rooms, or the exam rooms, are similar, very contemporary, 
somewhat comfortable furniture and a couple of magazines that were left there so you can peruse them again in a place with no clock so you can be somewhat you know insulated from the idea that you're not experiencing good flow others examples of good of good and not good flow are when we stand in the checkout line either at the supermarket or at the big box retailer and yet we see open areas next to us, other lanes that are closed, yet we wait. Not good examples of flow. And if you complain in those areas, which I sometimes do and get into trouble, I'm sure, they tell you to go do what? Yeah, go to the self-checkout. Take care of it yourself. That's a countermeasure and not a solution for flow. So as we take a look at this book, and specifically chapter three, talking about flow, one of the key things we need to do is simply to be able to identify what is our flow. Now, in the plant in Chillicothe, some of that is made easy by the fact that some of us work along the line, the build line where the trucks are assembled. There is an implied flow there, right? Because the truck is moving along on the chain. Others of us who work in those areas and have managed areas along that line know that we have flow of materials, that the materials are taken off of storage locations and they're assembled onto the truck. And then when some of those raw materials get low, they're brought to us via a train or some other delivery method. Whether a trucker or materials manager folks show up and replenish our materials. So it flows from wherever they're getting it from, outside storage, just hot off of a truck or off of a shelving unit on the backside of the plant and bringing it line side. Now, are those flows uh, at, the, at the macro level, are they working? Maybe at, at, at highest glance or at quick glance, or maybe more often than not, they do work. But how often are things left sitting where we have the wrong thing or nothing or too much, where we have impairments to flow? Ever sit in that waiting room when it was filled with people? Ever stand in that line when there's eight people deep? So one of the things we want to understand that the chapter is pulling out is for us to identify flow at all. Sometimes we just simply see flow and we go, well, stuff, stuff's going out the back door. Trucks are rolling off the line, so there must be stuff flowing through the plant. Yet there are hundreds of other flow opportunities, requests for information, requests for parts, engineering change notices, training regimens, parts, tools. How are those things flowing through and across the plant and the facility at Chillicothe? Once we start to become aware that there's hundreds of flows, small flows that contribute to larger flows, they eventually get to the line, they contribute to the building of the truck and of it rolling out the back door. Once we start taking a look at these things in our respective areas, we have awareness, and that's one of the key pieces of this chapter. The awareness of flow is going to make each of you a more effective, lean-minded leader and a much more effective manager of time, space, materials, people, even your own time in serving others. Then comes the question of value. What sorts of things are going on in that flow that are truly value-add? Now, that's one piece in the book where it doesn't really explore that completely. 
The understanding and the definition of value add is anything, any activity that changes the form, fit, or function of a product or service that an external customer would be willing to pay for. Now, things like that might comprise, yes, assembly, painting, testing, wiring, even some of the quality control methods, delivery, complete and accurate information exchanges, complete kitting assemblies, delivery of that kit to the line. And the question comes with this, with the value add content, are we getting things right the first time? Is the quality of our activity, of our flow, valuable? That's one of the challenges. So once we recognize the flow, once we spot it in our own areas, can we recognize the different tasks, the different sub activities that are going on that are value add? Things that are changing the market form or function of the product or service. Things, again, that a customer is willing to pay for the first time, right? See, here's one of the key pieces with understanding flow is it there's a lot of flow activities that are going on, but sometimes it's it's a it's a a tennis match. Things are going back and forth. Information is going back and forth because the next internal customer received something that was not right, inaccurate or incomplete, a missing part, a damaged part, something that could not move forward and advance the building of the truck, something that did not get something that was not completed right the very first time and has been an interrupter to flow. Now, it looks like flow at first glance because people are moving around, right? Things are happening, emails going back and forth, lots of paperwork being, com uh, being completed electronically, things being you know, sent back and forth, quick meetings popping up, exchanges of information. But to what end? Is it flowing forward toward completion and building of that particular truck order subcomponent or part that lends to the final assembly of the truck. If you haven't seen it yet, a great example of very simple flow, understanding what it is and seeing some of the opportunities with it can be found on YouTube. Look for Superstorm Sandy. And what you're going to find, it's about a nine minute video or so where it shows in, in, in this case, it was food distribution after Superstorm Sandy affected some of the residents of New York City. And the food distribution centers, uh, in part, were helped, um, helped out by the Toyota production system folks. They sent two folks in there to help the, the localized team with the distribution of food. And you're going to see that one of the things they took a look at was how well do we flow? What parts are value add? What parts lend to the end product in mind and what things don't? So one of the other pieces that comes out of the chapter as well is when flow doesn't work well or when it needs to work well, do we short circuit the flow to make it work? And here's how it might show up in your daily basis. When things go wrong, when things are late, when parts are missing and we have to do a rush order, an expedite, a quick let's get this done, a quick let's get our heads together to get this handled, we short circuit a system which oftentimes is not prescribed, it's not written down, it's not formalized, it's not standardized, 
but we short circuit a system that's there to make it so, to make it happen in the hour or for the truck or for the order in the day to get the activity done and complete, which begs the question, what kind of flow is that? If it's not natural and we're forcing something different across a flow, which may not be good to begin with, are we making things more effective or are we making them worse? And again, what's the, the larger question is, what's supposed to happen? Has anyone taken a look at this across the boundaries, across the departments, through the value stream, from door to door? How has this been affected by all the players? Which players are involved? Which departments are involved? And here's another key piece. This view, this long view across departments, how well do we see our work flowing across them and through them, not just from wall to wall, meaning just in engineering, this is an engineering concern only, or this is a supply chain management concern only, or this is a safety concern only. Which departments are affected? And the answer to that might be more than you think. Because where ultimately does this product, does this service, does this information need to flow to? So while dedicated product teams are one of the answers, and, and, and I know for a fact that Packard Chillicothe has been working hard on these. You've been using high performance work teams for several years now, to my understanding, as a way to break down some of those barriers between departments to effectively get in and understand what is the flow of our work as it originates, as it rolls out to the line and down and through the line in the assembly of the truck. And then over top of that, behind the scenes, sometimes a bit quietly, is the ticking tact time. Tact, German word for rate of demand or pace. The pace at which we have to build the truck, the pace at which we have to build whatever it is we are currently building, the information packet, the order, the kit, the release, the subcomponents that we have to assemble and get them to the line. Tag time, again, is something that is set not by us, but by the demand of the external customer, which through us comes from corporate in the form of the daily build rate. And that trucks per hour is a continual reminder of what our flow needs to be. Do we move to the beat of the tack time? And if we don't, the question comes, are we seeing that at all? Do we log that on our local management boards, either tier one, tier two, tier three, wherever it needs to be as appropriate? Which processes are problematic? Which ones allow us which processes allow us as leaders, as managers, as team members to fail? Which processes, because of their lack of standardization or their lack of clarity, or maybe they've just never been written down, they've always been this kind of assumed tribal knowledge, which of those processes are the ones that prevent us from performing at our very best and impede flow?
Now, the book also makes references to how the sales group can have an effect on this. And I know that for Packard Chillicothe and for all the Packard build sites, sales is something that is not part of the daily operations because that comes from corporate. Again, your, your, your standard, your daily build rate. But the larger questions are, what can we do with that knowledge? We know what the build rate's gonna be for tomorrow and perhaps even next week. And so our ability to concentrate and focus on flow should become paramount. It should become central. It should become one of those questions that we can chase and identify on a daily basis. Understanding what is the central problematic flow in my area. Again, problems being something good. Problems are something we want to see. Because remember, that's one of the great definitions of what does lean do? What does lean do for an organization? It makes problems visible. The whole idea of seeing and understanding where flow isn't occurring as good as it needs to be, tack time, is a place for us to explore, problem solve, and put in place new improvements, Kaizen through perhaps standardizing our work, right? There is no Kaizen without standardization. Taichi Ono said that. And oftentimes we rely on the MRP systems to get us through, right? Because the, the information coming out of those is supposed to be spot on. And for the most part, we enjoy a pretty good ride, but it's not a perfect ride that some of us experience that the MRP systems do fail us. The wrong counts, the wrong amounts, the wrong levels, the wrong inventories, the wrong locations. And what happens? More impediments to flow, interruptions, folks getting the wrong things at the wrong time or not getting them at all. And so what we want to look toward is maybe just a bit of a, a sidestep there. The folks at Toyota explored the idea of just-in-time delivery based on what was taken away and very closely took a look at how does the flow of the raw material as it shows up line side go to the car? How does that stuff, all those pieces, parts, the C-stock, the larger chrome pieces, the wheels, the exhaust systems, how do those show, how do those appear? What's the trigger for those to appear and how often are they showing up accurately, completely? in good condition and further up the chain as far as information goes we pay less attention to it there because it's not as visible it's not tangible it's not something we can put our hands on but is the information that we're looking to exchange the orders the amount of raw materials the paints the again the nuts and bolts and the other sub pieces that all comprise going into the truck the different interior bits the electronics, the hoods. Are those transactions happening right the first time? Is it clear what the process is to do these transactions, to complete the order or to put in a new one? Or is it clear when and what criteria are involved for us to put in a new replacement order for parts or other materials? Is it clear for us to make decisions related to quality? And if it's not, perhaps therein, again, is some place that we can look to improve how we move.
how we go from one thing to the next in order and in that time that's allowed for us. Another piece in the book that is suggested, which might be something for Packar Chillicothe to explore, is the idea of collocation. There's a chapter in the, there's a, a paragraph rather in chapter three that talks about the idea of moving the folks, moving all the players closer to the line. And that's a beautiful idea. I know that some of you might be going, whoa, wait a second. I don't know if I need to have my office out there. But perhaps it is simply the accessibility of some management and leadership figures, the accessibility to frontline workers where the true value add is occurring, where the truck is being assembled. Do those folks have clear and easy access to the coaches? Are they right there so we can have faster, clearer transactions when things go wrong? So our response time can be something much faster than maybe what it currently is. Again, imp impeding flow or are we helping flow? Another thing to consider with flow is the idea of skills. To my knowledge, the PACAR Chillicothe has been pretty good. In fact, PACAR at large has been pretty good with the use of skills matrices and posting them on the, on the line. It's really important for us to know which folks have what skills to do the things that need to get done. And that part is entirely and vitally true on the line with the assembly of the truck. But it's also no less important further up. Do we have the right skills in the office environment to do the work that needs to get done every day without fail? Again, do we have good flow of the human resource doing the value-added work? Might be an opportunity and along with that, the noisy environment. And I know Packard has, it's, it's a struggle there because the plant is big and there's a lot of echoing and there's a lot of, lot of uh, noisy equipment in the plant. But can we effectively communicate with our folks? Do they hear us during our management meetings, our start of shift meetings or our shift change meetings? Or when we get together for a quality huddle, can we actually hear each other? So we're not missing out on bits and pieces, incomplete information. Or we can't hear you at all because of the maybe roaring overhead um, you know, ventilation system or something like that. But we have a missed kit, interrupted flow. We should be able to have full confidence that our communication efforts are good, that they're solid, that all the team members are have access to the information we want to exchange. And therein is another key piece of this. Communication is two-way. Otherwise, it's just a broadcast. And we can do better than that at Packard Chillicothe. We need true communication to make and understand where things flow and where they don't flow. Equipment is the equipment that we use in good working condition. Not just good, it has to work as designed. And I know that there's a lot of different efforts have been put forth there with all the different electronic guns, electric guns rather, the guns for assembling uh, the cab fixtures and all the different subcomponents. Some of them are pneumatic and some of them are battery operated. And we want to pay a really close attention to those. 
because nothing is more frustrating to the folks on the shop floor than tools that don't work properly. And that's where TPM can come in, total productive maintenance, and maybe should be explored. And in this case, we might take a look at that in another podcast at another time. Beyond that, we can take a look at things to make things right the first time, all contributing to flow. Something called poke-yoke. It looks like poke-yoke. Poke-yoke or mistake-proofing. Now, we live in a world filled with the benefits of mistake-proofing. Irons that, when they tip over, turn off. Gas stations where diesel fuel does not go into a gas-powered car that won't fit. USBs that won't go in. Outlets that won't go, only go in three prongs one way, not another. There's tons of examples of mistake-proofing that are out there in the world that we live in. And maybe we need to take a look at that. Where things are being assembled wrong or incorrectly, is there some method, tool, technique, a new approach, a new visual, a new uh, augmented work instruction that would prevent that mistake from ever occurring again? And along with that, building in the use of visual controls, the max minute indicators, the placement locators, for things on the floor, for things on a, on a, on a, a tool bench, in a cabinet, overhead, aisleways, walkways. Have we maximized our efforts at, at Packard Chillicothe to really make our factory a showplace, a place that speaks by itself to what goes on there in a visual fashion with signboards, tape, simple indicators, and then building along that is the whole concept of 5S. Sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. The more things that we have in order, the better opportunity for us to get things right. We have the right things in the right place, organized in the right order. And 5S applies in the office environment as well. Aren't we tired of going and searching through the shared drive looking for a file folder that took us 12 minutes to find. Oh, shouldn't we, and shouldn't we be able to expect something more to improve our flow of our work? And when we find that flow of work, that maybe we find a different way to do it, to lay it out, to organize it, to identify it, to label it, to sequence it, to space it. That idea is something that's in the book uh, is mentioned, it's called kaikaku, which means breakthrough in Japanese. Kaikaku. That we're not just mired down in, well, it's always been this way. No, we've discovered new ways to see our work and to get our work done. Improved ways to bring flow. Now, some of those ideas can come, any of these ideas can come from any one of us. And I understand there's about 100 plus folks that make up the current management team, the leadership team at Packard Chillicothe. But there are hundreds more on the shop floor, all the other workers, both in the office and on the assembly line. And these are the heart of the plant. The people that are closest, and this is no disrespect, but the people that are closest to the value add of building the truck of assembling the truck from its 
frame rails until you, you toot the horn and drive it out the back door and say, this one is done. This is the heart of where our focus should be. This is where we, all of us as managers and as leaders, this is our charge. We serve them. It's on us. It's shouldered by us to identify where do things flow all the way to them and through them. It's on us. It should be part of our daily standard to make all of our information and all of the assembly of the truck flow everywhere, every day. And that we learn to explore and manage value, not problems. Understand where the value is and where it isn't, there you've got a problem. There is something you can go after. There is something we can work collaboratively on to, to either eliminate, reduce it, combine it with something else, or simplify it altogether. The chapter closed talking about the psychology of engaging people, having that awareness of flow, and how regular repetitive motions and a disconnected traditional management team can sometimes leave hourly workers feeling stunted and numb and disconnected. And when they are those, all those things, they are not engaged or sometimes actively disengaged. And when they're disengaged from their own work, that's when quality starts to get compromised. That's when attention to detail falls off. That's when things like safety, in this order, SQDC, safety and quality typically become one of those headpieces that, sh that shows that we have some disconnected folks going that are, that are they're at work. They're disconnected from what's going on and suddenly the attention to detail falls off. And that's something we wanna be aware of. That's something we can take to look to see. Do we have a flow with the engagement of our people does our leader standard work require us to go and talk to the folks one-on-ones, do Gemba walks, do a walk purely for waste, and do these things for them, with them, and with each other? When's the last time that you have done any sort of Gemba walk with another manager? I'm hoping if it's been something more recent, great, keep doing it, keep, keep going. But if it's been a while, find one of your colleagues and say, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go take a look at flow in my area. Or maybe you just get real honest and say, I don't know if I can see the flow in my area. Like it talks about in chapter three. Can you help me understand it? Partner up. There is no harm with doing any of this. It's been my pleasure to be with you here today. I hope I've inspired you enough to continue the conversation, to ask questions, to explore the world of Kaizen. May the spirit of Kaizen be with you.